Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. You like that? Isn't it amazing? And the great thing for me as I sit there and watch all of that, I feel like, you know, it's just really a foundation. It's just seed for our future. I believe everything that we have done uh, is just the starting place for what God has for us in the future. And I get really, really excited about that. So I feel like we're just starting, which is really, really good. Having said that, I do think it's great to be able to take some time and just sit back and reflect upon what God has done uh, for us and through us. And I just want to say this, that everything you see in Kalawasi there um, is because of somebody's yes. That, uh, every ounce of that footage did not exist before Victory Church said yes to going into that particular part of the world and working with some young people and working in partnership with Mercy Indonesia and saying yes for the last four years. And that is the result of our yes. And I thank God for that. The chair that you are sitting on is because of somebody's yes. This building is because of somebody's yes. Everything about this church is because somebody said yes. It may have been a yes yesterday. It could have been a yes a year ago. It could have been a yes five years ago or a yes 10 years ago or for Kath and I some 22 years ago. But I want you to know that everything you are seeing that is going through Victory Church is off the back of people's yes. And I just uh, want to take this time to say, say thank you for a kingdom-hearted and a kingdom-minded group of people called Victory Church who have said yes to God in their time, their talents and their treasures. You know, people look at uh, our church today and they would say, oh wow, it's amazing. And can I just say, uh, yes it is and thank you very much. Uh, But it wasn't always this amazing. It wasn't always like this. Some 22 years ago, Kath and I, with no guarantees and no experience, um, said yes to God because we had something in our hearts. And that's really what these next three weeks are all about, is our heart being refreshed, our heart being renewed. If you like, maybe uh, pushing the reset button on our hearts. Our hearts are really important because the heart is the starting place. If I was to ask the question, do you have a heart for the things of God? Most people would say, yes, I have a heart for the things of God. If I was to ask if you had a, uh, a biological heart, you know, that vital organ that's in your body that pumps blood around to keep you alive, you would all say, yes, I have a heart. But can I say this, it's not so much whether we have a heart or not, it's more about the condition of our heart. That's what uh, this Heart for the House is all about. It's us looking at, honestly and with integrity, the condition of our heart. You see, not too long ago, and many of you would be well aware of this story, and so I don't want to bore you with details, but uh, in April of this month, I contracted a blood infection and was put into hospital for three weeks and there was a lot of pain and a lot of uncertainty around that time. But the long and the short of it is, I came out of that time um, and my heart had been damaged. 
my heart had been attacked by an infection and it left me broken hearted. My heart was broken as a result of a vicious virus attacking it. And the amazing thing is, I was unaware of it. I didn't even know, I didn't have all the symptoms that uh, the experts were telling me that I should have, but it was diagnosed by someone who knows more about this area than I do. It was picked up by someone who is more experienced and more qualified to speak into these things. And it was their advice that gave me the understanding of the condition of my heart. I could have just gone along merrily, said, no, no, my heart's fine. Uh, I'm Lord and Master of my own life. I know best and uh, I'm not going to take your advice. But it was someone who was more qualified, more experienced uh, than I that was able to bring that understanding. I was completely unaware of it. And they said that I needed open heart surgery because one of my valves was damaged because of the blood infection. And because I had none of the symptoms, I said, Doc, you've got to give me something. If I'm going to lay there and have open heart surgery, I want to at least know that there's some good reason for it. I think I'm in good company when I say, who wants to have open heart surgery when you don't need it? None of us. And so I needed some sort of reassurance that there was indeed a problem. And uh, in a a uh, desperate attempt to try and get something, I just said to the doc, "Um, can I have a listen to my own heart? You're telling me that it sounds different. Can I have a listen? And he goes, that's a good idea. And I'm thinking, man, I'm paying you the big bucks to come up with ideas. It doesn't make sense. But nonetheless, he put his stethoscopes in my ears and I listened to my wife's heart and her heart sounded like most of your hearts would sound. The standard gagum, gagum, gagum. And because I was enjoying just being with my wife, I just stayed there a little moment, gagum, and listened to her heart. Ah. But then I got the stethoscope and placed it on my heart, and my heart didn't go gagum, gagum, because it was broken. It sounded more like this, And it was at that moment I realised, I have a heart problem. (laughs) Something's actually wrong. It was pointed out to me by somebody who was more experienced than I. In other words, we are not always the best reader of every circumstance and situation in our life. It takes somebody who knows uh, you better than you know yourself in order to point these things out. And I think that is an incredible example of how our spiritual life can look from time to time. Every one of us say, oh, I've got heart for the things of God. But what is the condition of our heart over years of serving Him? Has our heart become fearful? Do we have a fearful heart? You may have a heart, but is it a fearful heart? Maybe it's a greedy heart. Maybe it's a divided heart. Maybe it's a cold heart. Maybe you've become a cold-hearted person without even realizing it. Maybe your heart's become very cynical and hard over time. It's amazing and it never ceases to amaze me when people come to Christ and they usually do it in their early years, be it in their teens or early 20s. And we are full of passion. We are full of zeal. We are, we are red hot for the things of God. And over time, we become less and less 
passionate about the things of God. And usually, with our own diagnosis, we come up with a notion it's because we've got more mature. But I, I believe some of this settling down over the years has more to do with the attack that comes our way and uh, in our willingness to help and in our willingness to be generous and in our willingness to go over and above, uh, things don't always work out the way we had hoped and so our heart gets hurt and it gets attacked and sometimes it becomes closed off and, and we become cold-hearted, we become cynical-hearted, we become hard-hearted. And these times are uh, a time for us to gather together and celebrate all the good things God has done, but also to just check for a moment where our heart is at. What's the condition of our heart? If God can get into our heart, He can change the world and shape your future. Someone once said, if we are to change the world around us, the world within us must first be changed. And so with all that in mind, I want, to turn, I want you to turn with me to the Bible in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read two verses, verse 35 and 36, and I'm reading from the ASV this morning. It says, Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were distressed and scattered as sheep not having a shepherd. I want to look at three things this morning that's going to help us have a heart for the things of God. You know, we are going to take up an offering at the end of uh, these three weeks, but the goal is not a financial goal. The goal is not the goal. The goal is actually for our heart to be more like the Father's heart. And in order for our heart to be like the Father's heart, I want to highlight three things this morning. And in order for our heart to be like the Father's heart, number one, we must be willing. Everyone say willing. We must be willing to feel what Jesus feels. It says first that Jesus went from village to village, town to town, synagogue to synagogue, um, because that's where the people were. Jesus didn't go from village to village and say, what a cute village. He didn't go from synagogue to synagogue and say, wow, look at the structure. Isn't that amazing? No, he went there because that's where the people were. Everyone say people. People are precious to Jesus. And it's when he saw the multitudes. You and I live in a generation where we have access to more people in one day than they did their whole entire lives. We can be in contact with more people in one day through technology than those people back then ever did in a whole lifetime. Many of the people that Jesus spoke to lived in their village and they never left their village. And they grew up with Peter, Paul and Mary and they grew up with that and that was their lot. They watched them grow, they watched them mature, they watched them die. And that was the sheer effect of their influence. But you and I are surrounded by a great multitude. And I believe that the social media phenomena that we live in is really to our advantage and we need to redeem technology and we need to redeem social media. Instead of using it for harm, we have an opportunity to use it for good and to connect to the precious people that are on the other end of our technology. Amen. And so Jesus saw the multitude, but he didn't just see the multitude. Something happened when he saw the people. 
And it's what happened in Jesus that I believe has to happen to us. We see lots of people, but Jesus, when he saw people, he was moved. Everyone say moved. And he was moved with compassion. The word compassion simply means to feel the pain of another person in your heart. Jesus couldn't just look across a football field and say, oh, just people. No, no, he, he was moved with compassion. Whenever he saw people, he was moved with the incredible need that was in that person's life or that group of people's lives. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to help the world. He came to save the world. He came to redeem the world. He came to be there for precious people. And if that was in Jesus' heart, that needs to be in our heart today. Jesus was moved with compassion. How much do people register in our hearts? Are we willing to focus on the needs of others? We need to be moved by those around about us. Question is, how quickly am I moved? And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is the same question. How quickly are you moved? I'm not talking about when you were once moved. We've all got a story of when we were once moved. It could have been that day when you gave your life to Christ and you ran to the front and nobody could hold you back. It could be that day when you just, you couldn't stop your hand going up to respond to Jesus. You were just so moved and you found yourself putting your hand up and you didn't even know how it got up there. You remember that? You were so moved. Maybe it was that day when you got baptised with the Holy Spirit and you were just so moved. Maybe it was that time when someone prophesied over you and in your heart of hearts, oh, you were just so moved. Maybe it was that time you were prayed for and you found yourself on the carpet and it was, you, you, you found yourself there for what seemed like days. It was only minutes, but it felt like days because you met with God and you were just so Moved. I thank God for all of those moments in my life that I was moved. I have all those stories just like you. But if that's all we've got, we are missing the point. If that's all we've got, our heart somewhere has become hard and calloused and cynical. And I have a question for you today. When's the last time your heart was moved for somebody other than yourself? I'm not talking about that time your heart was moved when you saw a McDonald's ad and thought, I must get a burger. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that time when you saw an advert for ice cream and you thought, I must have ice cream. I'm so moved. I'm talking about being moved when you see someone else's pain, when you see someone else's plight. When was the last time you found yourself moved with compassion? You had an ache in your heart for others. When were we last moved by someone else's brokenness? When's the last time we had a tear or two run down our face because of somebody else's pain? Kath and I and a number of the precious people from this church went down to Geelong recently as part of a kingdom initiative, working with other churches and helping them as they are helping us. And we had the opportunity to minister into their staff, leadership teams and church. And uh, many of our team were able to minister to their respective areas. It was just a great, great time. And I had this incredible opportunity to share my story, the one about my sickness and how God met me in my sickness. And uh, there was a particular lady that came to Kath and I and said, hey, look, 
my brother-in-law is in Adelaide. He's in hospital and he has no family because he was in a helicopter accident. And I wonder if you could go and visit him and share your story. And so Kath and I said, sure. Um, And just this week, we had the opportunity to go to the Royal Adelaide Hospital, firstly because I had a checkup, and uh, I went to see my ID nurse, and she gave me all clear. Apparently, the infection's gone, and I don't have to go back, and that's a good day. That's a good day. And and you would think out of that, gratitude for God, I, I would just run into this room and see this guy, but I want to be honest with you. As I started to think, okay, I'm in the hospital. Um, I've been asked to go and see this man. We don't know him from a bar of soap. Um, Was I nervous? Yeah. Did I have an excuse? No, I had 10. (laughs) It's amazing how deceitful the heart can be when it comes to getting out of something. It's amazing how quick you can think when it's about getting you out of something. It's amazing how slow we are to think when it comes to getting you into something. But we're great at we're thinking really at getting out of things. And, and so I had my excuses. Kath had her excuses. We're busy people. We had some meetings that day. Do we really have time? And yet the whole time with the nerves and the excuses, the overriding and the overarching thing that I could feel was this pain And it was a pain that was in my heart. And it was a pain, I believe, that the Father was feeling for this person. And and so, as I tell you what I'm about to tell you, I don't want you to think highly of me. I don't want you to think I'm telling anyone off. I'm here to say that Kath and I are people just like you. And we have our excuses, and we have our nerves, and we have our fears just like you. But it's amazing when you've got a heart for things of God, how your heart will help you to overcome your fears, your doubt, your nerves, and your excuses. And that's what happened. And so as we were walking, um, remember, I got the good news. I, I'm clear. And you know, you'd think I'd just be bold, but I wasn't. I was just like, oh my gosh, what are we going to say? We don't even know this guy. What's he going to think? And so we walk in there. And I'm thinking to myself, I've got probably 30 seconds to grab his attention. Otherwise, it's all over. And so I thought, the thing I'm not going to do is tell him I'm from a church and I'm a pastor. That's not going to go well for me. Believe me, I know. I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> the last thing people want in hospital is a religious nutter. And so I thought, I'm not going to say that. And so we just came up with a cold light of day sentence, which is just a sentence you think of in the cold light of day before the nerves grab you of that moment. And I would encourage every one of you to do that. Have something you can say so that when you're there, you don't sound like an idiot. <laughs> you know, when you go in there, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and, and so we just went in there and basically said, look, we have a mutual friend who we met in Geelong just a week ago. And they heard about my story and asked if we would come and visit you because I was where you are only three months ago. He was in the spinal ward, which is exactly where I was. It felt eerie being there, to be honest. And we were there. And and then I said to him, and I had a blood infection. It attacked my heart. And only four weeks ago, I had open heart surgery. When I said that, there was instant connection. Instant connection. And so he starts opening up and telling his story. 
And I'm so glad Kath was there because on two particular occasions as we were chatting, I just felt tears welling up. And you know, maybe it would have helped had I just actually cried. I don't know, but I didn't want to scare the guy by me going, <laughs> I, didn't want to, I didn't want him to think, am I dying? So Kath was able to interject just as I held back the tears. But I want to tell you, I was so close because his story resonated so closely with my story. He said to me, he said, Tony, it's the little things. You put up with all the operations and you put up with all the big things, but then it's the little things that get you down. And I'm like, I know, man, I hear you. There's the little things. And then, then a friend of his came in from work, someone who'd been seeing him on a regular basis, uh, and that was great, we got to meet him, and then they, they um, asked us if we would leave because they were cleaning up his wounds, and there we were able to speak to his friend a little bit longer, and we exchanged phone numbers. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe that's all that God's asking. Maybe there's something more. But I can honestly say, just this week, my heart was moved, and I was reduced to tears. And that moment wouldn't have happened if I just listened to my nerves, if I just listened to my fears, if I just listened to my excuses. Church, let's not be led by our excuses. Let's not be led by our fears. Let's not be led by our nerves. But let's adopt a heart that says, I'm open to you, Lord, and move and respond out of a heart that meets the needs of people. I, I don't know about you and I don't know what it is about this but when I walk past businesses that are being shut down it affects me I cannot tell you it just affects me I get really emotional when I walk past a closed down sign and, 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 and I, maybe it's because I've planted a church maybe it's because I led a business before that but I know what it takes to start something from nothing when you, you've got a house on the line when, and I, I walk past these and, and I don't see the building that's closed I see the person that was behind that their dream being smashed I see possible financial strife now I see ta- homes being taken off them I see prides and egos being dented you know most men find their identity in what they do with their success and what they can achieve and to have a failed business is a massive dent on the ego and my heart just breaks my heart just breaks for businesses that don't work and it's so easy to say oh that was never going to work they were just stupid businessmen then you know what maybe that's true but can we not just be at least moved by empathy and before we get into the why it happened just feel the pain of people and what they've lost even if they've been stupid even if they've been a little bit idiotic because haven't we all from time to time can we not just feel their pain the pain of a lost home the 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 loss of a dream etc etc I don't know what it is that's going to move you, but I trust that in this season, we will be deeply moved by people. It could be in your schools, young people. It could be in your universities, young adults. It could be in your workplace, men and women. It could be in your shopping malls. I don't know where, but can we just not see people, but can we see the brokenness, the hurt, and the help that is required in helping these people? Because I believe... That's at the heart of God. We have to feel like Jesus feels. The question is this, does my heart have room for the Father's ache? Does my heart have room for the Father's ache? Before seeing this man in hospital, there was nerves, there was fear, and there was excuses, but there was still room for the Father's ache. And it was that ache that actually overrode the fears, the doubts, and the excuses if we're going to have a heart for the house we need to feel like Jesus feels secondly we must be willing to prioritize what Jesus prioritized 
Jesus went around preaching and teaching the gospel of the kingdom. Everyone say kingdom. He didn't preach the gospel of prosperity. He didn't preach the gospel of your comfort. He didn't preach the gospel of your pleasure. He didn't preach the gospel of your timing. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. And his heart was for the kingdom of God. You see, kingdom living is different than religious living. There's a lot of Christians that live religious lives, but they don't live kingdom lives. Religious living is all about you and yours. I went to church. I read my Bible. I paid my tithe. I did what the pastor asked. I went. Kingdom living is stuff that is beyond you. Kingdom living is a life that embraces things beyond you and your little patch and your little family and your little well-being. It's something bigger. And Jesus prioritised the kingdom and we must prioritise the kingdom if we have a heart for his house. Kingdom living is all about priorities. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and then these other things will be added to you. We've turned that around. We spend a lot of time seeking the things that we want added to our lives. We spend very little time on his righteousness and his righteousness is about doing the right thing whether eyes are on you or not. It's not about not stealing when the, uh, the shop owner's looking at you. It's about not stealing when he's not looking at you. It's about doing the right thing and we spend even less time on his kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom. Ever say first. If Jesus said we've got to seek the kingdom first, then that's what we should be prioritizing in our lives. Are we willing to adjust our priorities? You know, what we're experiencing here today and what we're enjoying here today came off the back of Kath and I adjusting our priorities. If we didn't adjust our priorities, what we see today would not exist. It's a simple matter that we had to adjust our priorities. Now, I'm not saying for one moment that we built this church on our own, not at all. But there are other kingdom-minded people who also adjusted their priorities and were willing to get involved. And there are others who adjusted their priorities. And I, I don't know where your priorities are at right now, but I'm praying that through this series, this Heart for the House month, that we would begin to adjust our priorities and make our priorities the priorities of the kingdom. The question we have to ask ourselves is this, do I have room in my heart for the Father's plan? First question, do I have room in my heart for the Father's ache? Feel like Jesus feels. The second question is, we need to prioritise what Jesus prioritised and the question is, do I have room in my heart for my Father's plan? Not just his ache, but also his plan. See, God has a plan. If we don't make this shift, we will live incomplete lives. Whenever you live for yourself, your life will be incomplete. Because whenever you live for yourself, you always desire more than you presently have. Self is never satisfied. But when you embrace kingdom living and when you embrace a kingdom life, you will find a satisfaction that you never thought 
imaginable. When Kath and I left that hospital, we felt a satisfaction that was beyond our wildest dreams. We were just pumping. We were just beaming. We were just so excited. We were moved and God met us that we could actually be a help to this man's life, to see his face light up. We received nothing for it. In actual fact, we actually lost some time. It cost us time. Oh, but that time was just so worth it. We need to embrace the things that Jesus is embracing. Priorities, number one, determine destinies. You can pray all you like. You can fast all you like. But if we do not embrace his priorities, we are wasting our time with our prayers. God will not answer your prayers the way you want them answered just because you're praying. He wants us to get in line with his plan, not our plan. God's not saying, oh, well, You've got a better plan than me. I'll go your, no, no. He's the one who is all wise. He's the one who is all knowing. He's the one who's all strong. We must embrace his plan because it's the best plan. And so we need to embrace his priorities. Priorities determine destinies. Secondly, priorities reveal passions. What you place or what you have in pole position of your life is seen by what you put first. You, know, you can say you love Jesus more than anything else. You can say you love the local church, but at the end of the day, it's seen in what you do first. For me, I believe when I get up, the first thing I do is seek the face of God through prayer and through reading His Word. Not because I'm religious, but because it's a priority. I want to seek God before I seek my wife, before I seek my kids, before I seek what the day holds for me. I want to seek God first because it's a priority in my life. I want to know what God's word is for me in any given day. When it comes to making a major decision, I want to know what God has to say about that major decision first. I may get some, uh, uh, some advice after that, but firstly, I want to hear from God. When I take my offering, it's the first of my payment. You know, if you can't afford to give to God, you say, I have a heart, I want to give, I just can't afford to. I hear that all the time and you know I can give natural assent to that I can understand what you're saying but actually in God's hearing what we're saying is our lifestyle is too expensive to give to God which means we're not putting him first when we put God first with our finances we make decisions off the back of what is left over it determines homes we buy it determines places we go it determines holidays we have we don't have the dream holiday and then feel like, oh, actually, there's nothing left over to give to God. No, we give to God first because passions always reveal priorities or priorities always reveal passions. And thirdly, priorities reveal lordship. Jesus himself said, and it's amazing to me, he says, you'll either serve God or money. It's amazing that Jesus got down to two things. You'll either serve God or money. If you can't prioritize, or sorry, if you can't put priorities over your finances, your finances will have priorities over you. And I'm believing that this Heart for the House Month, God himself will show up. That God will touch your heart. That God will speak to you. That God will touch you on the shoulder and speak to us about how we can get involved with our time, with our talents, and with our treasures. I'm praying that every person here would be involved in our heart for the house offering. There'll be different amounts, but equal sacrifice. And if I don't believe that every person 
could be involved. I don't think I should be leading this church. I believe in this church. I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe in what God has in store for us. And, and I'm believing that as we seek God together over this next month, he'll speak to us individually in areas of how we might give. It goes on to say in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into the harvest field. If we're to have a heart for this house, we need to feel like Jesus feels. We need to prioritize what Jesus prioritizes. And thirdly, we need to do what Jesus did. He said the harvest is plentiful, meaning there's lots of people with lots of needs. And that is truer today than it was back then. The harvest is bigger. The harvest is more plentiful than when Jesus said these words some 2,000 years ago. But unfortunately, we have the same problem. The workers are few. The workers are few. Sadly, there are so few people that are willing to respond to the heart of God. And I'm trusting that over this next month, as we push a reset on our heart, we would have a heart for God like never before. You know, one of the most well-known verses of Scripture, if not the most well-known, so well-known that many non-Christians are aware of this verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. We quote it. We quote it without even looking at the Bible. And I'm thanking God it's in the Word. But you know what? It's one thing for the Father's heart to be revealed in that Scripture. It's another thing for the obedience of a son. The amazing thing is that Jesus said yes. Can you imagine? For God so loved the world, He sent His Son and His Son said, I'm not going. Can you imagine the Father trying to push Jesus out of heaven? He's like, This is why I'm forever in love and forever indebted to Jesus because he came. And he didn't come to a life of comfort, church. He was living in heaven. He was living in the best of the best. And the Father says, there's a hurting humanity, will you go? And Jesus says, oh, yes. He says, but you need to know something. You're not going to go as a man, you're going to go as a baby. You're going to be placed in the hands of humanity. Now every mum out there knows that you've failed as a mum from time to time. You've dropped your child, you've lost your child, you've forgot your child, you've overfed your child, you've underfed your child. Well, Mary's no exception. She wasn't this perfect woman. She was a holy woman. She caught the attention of God because she had a heart after God, but it didn't mean she was perfect. And so can you imagine holding the Messiah, the Son of the living God, bang, oh, sorry. <laughs> I stand on the door, I stand on the door every Sunday and say goodbye to you precious people. It's wonderful, it's one of the privileges I get to do. Kath and I, we stand out the front, and it's awesome. But I have seen so many babies' heads hit those doors and it just makes Kath and I feel so normal. 
And they're all embarrassed. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Thank you. Thank you. It's a gift to me. You make me feel normal. We did that so many times. It explains why Mitch is like he is, I suppose. But <laughs> I don't know why Jordan's laughing. She's worse than him. But anyway. Uh, and Jesus said, yeah, I'll go. Knowing that mum's going to drop me. Knowing that, you know. And you're going to be born into a family that are not going to believe your story. They're going to hate you, your brothers and sisters. Will you go? He says, yes, I'll go. He says, you're going to gather to yourself a group of people called disciples and every one of them in your greatest time of need is going to abandon you. Will you go? So, yes, I'll go. He says you're going to be fighting a religious institution. They're going to hate your guts. They're going to want your death and indeed they will succeed. You will be crucified at the hands of religious people. Will you go? And he said, yes. Jesus said yes. And it's His yes that gives us this opportunity. Everything we see today is built on somebody else's yes. And it started with the yes of Christ. And He came to a broken world, a lost humanity. He came and He left the splendour of heaven where there was no fault, there was no sin. And He came to a sin-laden world. He said, yes. And when He was hung on the cross, And people were mocking him and ridiculing him. And the father says, will you forgive them? And in his pain, as he hung on the cross, a bloody mess, he said, yes, I'll forgive them. Will you die for them and lay down your life willingly? He said, yes. You see, Jesus' life was never taken. It was given freely. The Bible says Jesus gave up His life. It was not taken from Him. He gave it and it came out of a heart that said yes. When's the last time you said yes to God? That might take some thinking about. What doesn't take any time to think about is when's the last time we said yes to ourselves? That happens every day of our life. But to say a big yes to God. Are you willing to simply say yes? And most people are not willing or nervous about saying yes because their question is, but how will it happen? Which brings me to my third question. Does my heart carry the Father's trust? In order to feel like Jesus feels, we have to answer this question. Does my heart carry room for the Father's ache? In order for us to prioritise what Jesus prioritises, we have to ask ourselves, does my heart have room for the Father's plan? And in order for us to do what Jesus did, we have to ask ourselves, is there room in my heart for the Father's trust? When Kath and I, as you've already heard in the video earlier, when we were asked to plant a church by our pastor in the local church that we were attending, I've got to be honest with you and say it was not in my heart to plant a church. Kath and I never dreamed about it. We never talked about it. We never mentioned it. That's our story. But I know this that it was in the Father's heart 
for us to start a church. And because it was in the Father's heart, as we went to the Father, He changed my heart. And my heart became like the Father's heart. And I remember thinking to myself, plant a church, never thought about it, never considered it. But as I reflected upon the ask, I remember God nudging me simply and quietly saying, this is not your pastor asking, this is me asking. This is something I have in my heart for you. And because we had a heart that wanted to please the heart of the Father, we found ourselves saying yes. And the yes overrode all the other no's. Say, what do you mean by that? If you were to ask us the question, do you have any experience? Our answer was no. We had no experience. Do you have any qualifications? No. There was lots of no's to that ask. But when you had a heart, like the Father's heart, it overrides those no's. So I'm not here to big note myself. I'm here to simply say, I'm flesh and blood just like every one of us in this room. And I have my excuses at the ready. I have my fears at the ready. I have my nerves at the ready. I have my I don't want to's at the ready. But in the midst of all that, we found ourselves saying, yes. And I haven't said that to say that every one of us needs to plant a church. God forbid. But I do believe we're all called to do something. And I'm trying to stir you, as best I know how, under God, to stir us to saying yes to something that would embrace the Father's heart in our life. Are we willing to be stirred again? Or are we happy with our once was move of God? Or are we ready to embrace a new move of God in our lives? I've heard it said we've been praying for a revival. We've been praying for a move of God. A move of God won't happen unless you move. A move of God won't happen unless you are moved. And so you don't need a worldwide global revival. You just need your heart to be revived. You need your heart to be renewed. And you need your heart to be moved again. And you can bring revival to your world. This yes that we found ourselves saying so many times didn't always sound like a confident, bold yes. A lot of the times, if I'm honest, our, our yes sounded like this. Yes. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. As long as it ends in yes, it can, it can start with an end, but as long as it finishes in yes, it might be a no yes. And we've had a few of those. But let's say yes. Will you stand? I'd love to pray for you this morning. I mentioned already we've had a number of technical difficulties leading up to this time. And obviously uh, what we had in the printers has not got to us on time. And so this time next week, there'll be something placed on every one of your seats, a brochure about some of the things that we're involved in, some of the things that we've done. And there'll also be a pledge card. And I'm trusting and praying that we will pray about and think about and be open to the heart of the Father for Him to come alongside and nudge us 
at this time that we may be able to contribute, that we might be able to contribute with our time. You know, maybe some of you said, I've come from another church and I just can't be involved. I just can't get involved. And that's fine. There's a hospital aspect to this church. But this is what I know about being in hospital more recently. No hospital wants you to stay there long term. Every hospital exists to get you well again, to get you moving again. Jesus was moved with compassion. We want you to be moved again. And so if you've had a time of sitting out, refreshing and, and recuperating, that's great. But there's coming a time we want you to be moved again. And we say that unapologetically because that's the Great Commission, that we might be moved one more time, that we might be moved again. And so whether it's in your time, you, know, you look at a church like this, you think, oh, everything's covered. Yeah, yes and no. For everything area that's covered, there are precious people covering it. And those precious people also need time off and, and, and they need rest. And so just because it's being covered today, how about it gets covered by somebody else tomorrow? Time, our talents, we have certain skills and we don't want our skills just to build our little empire, but we'd love for you to enlist your skills to help the church advance. And there's also our treasures. Every one of us receives something and we're asking us to prayerfully consider what we could go without in this next 12 months in order for us to advance as a church and into our community and beyond. You see, our tithes that we took up earlier, essentially that's for church maintenance. That covers rents and mortgages, that covers bills and that covers wages. And once all those things are paid, there's not much left over, if anything at all. The heart for the house is about the church advancing. The tithes and offerings about the church maintaining. The heart for the house is about the church advancing. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.